Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with our encore episode of Theseus and the Minotaur. Long, long ago in ancient Greece on a beautiful island called Crete, there lived a king named Minos. He had everything a king could possibly desire. But still, Every now and then, King Minos sent his navy across the sea to attack the village of Athens, plundering their land and all their possessions. Now, the king of Athens became desperate. He had to find a way to protect his land and his people. If only he had more time, he figured, he could build a strong navy, strong enough to do battle with this King Minos and keep his own people safe. So, the king of Athens offered King Minos a deal. If Minos promised not to attack Athens for nine years, then Athens would agree to send seven boys and seven girls to the island of Crete to be eaten by the terrible monster that King Minos kept as a pet, the dreaded Minotaur. The Minotaur lived in the middle of a maze on the island of Crete, and King Minos doted on him. And so, when he heard of this deal from the King of Athens, he accepted it. After all, he thought, I only send out my navy to attack them when I'm bored. I have no need of their land or possessions, and this way I can give my beloved Minotaur a special tasty treat of seven boys and seven girls. So, as the years passed, Athens did build a navy. But King Minos did not attack as the king of Athens had expected. In fact, King Minos kept his word. And soon, it was time for Athens to keep their word and send seven boys and seven girls to their death. The whole of Athens wept with sorrow. Now, The young prince, Theseus of Athens, knew the importance of keeping one's word. He knew that a deal was a deal. But he was also quite sure that it was wrong to send innocent children to be devoured by a monster. So Prince Theseus told his father, the king, that he was going to go to Crete as the seventh son of Athens, and he was going to kill the Minotaur and end the terror. The Minotaur is a terrible monster. What makes you think you can kill it? cried his father. I will find a way, Theseus replied gently. The gods will help me. His father begged him not to go, but the prince paid him no heed, and he took his place as a seventh Athenian boy. 
Along with six other Athenian boys and seven Athenian girls, Prince Theseus set sail towards Crete. When the prince and the children arrived on the island of Crete, King Minos and his daughter, the princess Ariadne, came out to greet them. The princess Ariadne did not say anything, but her eyes narrowed thoughtfully. Late that night, she wrote Prince Theseus a note, and she slipped it under his bedroom door. It read, Dear Theseus, I am a beautiful princess, as you probably noticed the minute you set eyes on me. I am also a very bored princess. Without my help, the Minotaur will surely gobble you up. I know a trick or two that will save your life. If I help you kill the monster, you must promise to take me away from this tiny island so that others can admire my beauty. If interested in this deal, meet me by the gate to the labyrinth in one hour. Yours very truly, Princess Ariadne. Prince Theseus slipped out of the palace and waited patiently by the gate. Finally, Princess Ariadne showed up. In her hands she carried a sword and a ball of string. Ariadne gave the sword and the ball of string to Prince Theseus. Hide these inside the entrance to the maze. Tomorrow, when you and the other children from Athens enter the labyrinth, wait until the gate is closed, then tie the string to the door, unroll it as you move through the maze, and that way you will find your way back again. The sword? Well, I think you know what to do with the sword, she laughed. Theseus thanked the princess for her kindness. Don't forget now. She cautioned Theseus, you must take me with you so that all the people can marvel at my beauty. The next morning, the Athenian children, including Prince Theseus, were shoved into the maze. The door was locked firmly behind them. Following Ariadne's directions, Theseus tied one end of the string to the door. He told the children to stay by the door and to make sure the string stayed tied so that the prince could find his way back again. The children hung on to the string tightly as Theseus entered the maze alone. For a long time he wound his way in and out through the maze until finally, hurtling straight toward him came the Minotaur. But as soon as it lowered its head to charge, Theseus raised up the sword Ariadne had given him, and with one fell stroke, he slayed the ferocious monster. Then he turned around and easily found his way back by following the string. He knocked on the door, and at once Princess Ariadne opened it, and away they ran toward the ship with the children following behind, and off they set sail back to Athens. But along the way, they stopped for supplies on the tiny island of Naxos. Princess Ariadne insisted on coming ashore with the prince and the children. But there was little happening on the island, and by and by Ariadne lay down beneath a tree, and soon she fell asleep. All the people gathered around to admire the beautiful sleeping princess. Seeing what was happening, Theseus beckoned the children of Athens to his side, and off they hurried back to the ship and sailed away, leaving the sleeping princess surrounded by her crowd of admirers. After all, a deal is a deal.
Now, let's take a journey with Quackling by Eron Shepherd, who calls this a not-too-grim Grimm's fairy tale, <laughs> because as you will hear, it does sound a tiny bit like one of Grimm's fairy tales, but a lot funnier. Once there was a very small duck with a very loud quack, so they called him Quackling. Now, Quackling was clever and he worked hard, so he saved up a good deal of money. In fact, he saved up so much that the king himself came to borrow some. Quackling was proud to loan his money to the king, but a year went by. Then two, then three, and the king never paid him back. I've waited long enough, said Quackling. So he took a sack for the money and he started for the castle, calling, Quack, quack, quack! I want my money back! Before long, he came upon a ladder leaning against a wall. Where are you going, Quackling? said the ladder. To the king for my money, said Quackling. To the king, said ladder. How wonderful! Will you take me with you? Why not, said Quackling. One can never have too many friends. And he called out, Quack, 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 ladder into sack. Quick as you can, blink, ladder was in the sack. Then Quackling walked on, calling, Quack, 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 I want my money back. Not much later, he came upon a river flowing through a wood. Where are you going, Quackling? said the river. To the king for my money, said Quackling. To the king, said river. How splendid! Will you take me with you? Why not, said Quackling. One can never have too many friends. And he called out, Quack, 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 river into sack. Quick as you can wink, a river was in the sack. Then Quackling walked on, calling, Quack, 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 I want my money back. In a little while, he came upon a beehive hanging from a tree. Zzz, where are you going, Quackling? Zzz, said Beehive. To the king, for my money said Quackling. Zzz, to the king, said Beehive. Zzz, how marvellous. Will you take me with you? Now Quackling's sack was getting full, but he thought there might be just enough room. Why not, said Quackling. One can never have too many friends. And he called out, Quack, 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 Beehive into sack. Quick as you can think, Beehive was in the sack. Then Quackling walked on, calling, Quack, 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 I want my money back. Soon after Quackling arrived at the king's castle, he marched right up to the guards and told them, I've come for my money. The guards went inside and told the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister told the king, Who does that quackling think he is? 
said the king. Never mind, just put him in the pit. So they put Quackling in the pit and left him there. Help! cried Quackling. I'll never get out. Then he remembered Ladder, so he called out, Quack, 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 Ladder out of sight. Quick as you can, blink, Ladder was out of the sack. Ladder leaned against the side of the pit and Quackling climbed out. Then Quackling stood there calling, Quack, 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 I want my money back. How did that Quackling get out of the pit? said the king. Never mind, just put him in the pot. So they put Quackling in the pot and set it on the fire. Help! cried Quackling. I'm in a stew. Then he remembered River, so he called out, Quack, 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 River out of sack. Quick as you can wink, River was out of the sack. River put out the fire and flowed away. Then Quackling got out, calling, Quack, 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 I want my money back. How did that Quackling get out of the pot? said the king. Never mind, just bring him here and I'll put him in his place for good. So they brought Quackling to the king. The king tried to grab him. Help! cried Quackling. This is the end! Then he remembered. Beehives! So he called out. Quack, 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 beehive out of sack. Quick as you can think, beehive was out of the sack. Their bees rushed from the hive and started to sting the king. Help! cried the king. He fled from the castle and the bees followed. They chased him all the way to, well, no one knows where, for they never saw him again. Hooray! cried the people of the castle. And the Prime Minister said, We never liked that king anyway. So they put Quackling on the throne and gave him a crown. Will you be our king? said the guards. Why not? said Quackling. One can never have too many friends. Let's take an encore journey then with King Midas and the Golden Touch. Long, long ago in ancient Greece, there lived a king named Midas who had a daughter, Marigold, whom he loved with all his heart. But... Midas also loved something else, too. Gold. Day after day, for 
hours and hours at a time, Midas hid himself away in his treasure rooms, counting all his piles of gold. Father, Marigold would say, come outside with me and see the flowers blooming. No, no, child, not now. I'm too busy. Here, sweet girl, come. Look, wear this golden necklace. See how it shimmers and shines. But Marigold did not care for jewels or gold. She loved walking barefoot in her simple clothes over grassy fields. She loved the feel of the wind in her hair and the velvety softness of rose petals, the trill of bird songs, the pale pink in the sky at dusk and dawn, and the scent of wood smoke and lilacs. She often walked alone, wishing that her father would join her and learn to love the world as she did. One day, as Midas sat in his treasure room counting his gold, a man appeared before him. He did not look like any ordinary man. He wore a leopard skin around his broad bronze shoulders and vines were twined around his head. Who are you? Midas asked. I am Dionysus, god of wine and pleasure, the stranger said. I have come to thank you for being kind to my old teacher, Silenus. The gods do not forget such kindness. I have come to grant you any wish you make. Ah, yes, Midas said, for he remembered an old man who had appeared one night at the palace gates, and Midas had given him food and shelter, and the old man had thanked him and promised him that he would be rewarded. So now this god had come to give thanks. Midas was thrilled. Please be seated, Midas said, and look at my beautiful coins. Dionysus smiled weakly. I prefer the way grapes glow when the sun shines down on them. Midas laughed. Ha! Grapes look best served on a golden platter, he said. My only wish is for gold. I wish all that I touched would turn to gold. Do you see what I mean about him making this wish for gold in a very unusual way? I wonder why he didn't just ask for more gold. Keep listening, boys and girls, and think about that. Your wish is granted, Dionysus said with a frown on his face, and he disappeared as quickly as he'd appeared. Just then Midas heard the bell calling him to eat. He turned to leave the room, but as he touched the door, he gasped, for it had turned to gold. He touched his robe, and it too turned to gold. He looked down, and he saw that his leather sandals were pure gold. He walked through the hallways, touching everything he passed. The columns turned to gold as did the floor beneath his feet, and by the time he reached the table, he was brimming with excitement. Marigold, he cried, I am the happiest man in the world. But father... Marigold said, your robe is stiff. Solid gold, Midas cried. The gods have granted me the golden touch. Look at your chair, father, Marigold cried. Sure enough, it was gold, and his napkin turned to gold with his touch. We are the luckiest people in all the world, he said, reaching for a piece of bread. But to his horror, the bread had turned to gold. This was terrible indeed. He could not eat anything, for everything he touched 
turn to gold. Staring down at his golden plate, he wondered what to do. Oh, father, you will starve, Marigold cried, and she ran to his side to comfort him. No, no, Midas shouted, but before he could stop her, Marigold had thrown her arms around her beloved father, and now his precious daughter was hard and cold, a golden statue, no longer a child. Dionysus, Midas cried, take this dreadful gift away, I want my child. But Dionysus was far away by then, he did not hear the king's cry. All that night, the poor king wept, holding his daughter in his arms and wishing he could undo what he had done. I will never be greedy again, he called to the gods. Please send me Dionysus. I will be different from now on. At dawn, Dionysus appeared. Do you still love gold so much? He asked the king. No, take away my golden touch and give me back my child. Go to the river, Dionysus said. Bathe yourself and you will be cured. Midas ran like lightning to the river and dived into the water and as he did, small golden pellets floated past. But Midas no longer cared for these. He scrubbed and prayed to the gods and before long, His clothing became soft and white again, and his sandals turned to soft leather. He ran back to the palace, and he clasped his daughter to him. A moment later, she began to grow soft and warm. Father, she said as her lips began to move. Father, I dreamed I could not speak or move. I dreamed that all the world was gold. Midas held her close. A terrible dream, my darling. That night, as Midas ate his dinner, he licked his lips. Never have I tasted such wonderful food. When he folded his napkin, he smiled at Marigold and he said, Ah, this linen is so beautiful. He took her hands in his, and you... You, my child, you are more precious than gold. Will you walk in the woods with me tonight, father? She asked. Yes, yes, of course. Nothing would please me more, my dearest girl. That evening, King Midas walked into the woods hand in hand with his precious child. And he found more happiness there than he had ever known. From that day forward, Midas understood what real treasures were. Now, Let's take a journey with Why the Eagle Defends Americans Many, many moons before the white man came a little Indian boy was left all alone in the woods 
It was back in the days when animals and men understood each other better than they do now. An old mother bear found the little Indian boy. She felt very sorry for him, and she told the boy not to cry, for she would take him home with her. She had a nice wigwam in the hollow of a big tree. Old Mother Bear had two cubs of her own, but she had a place between her great paws for a third. So she took the little papoose and she hugged him warm and close. She fed him as she did her own little cubs. Over time, the boy grew strong. He was very happy with his adopted mother and brothers. They had a warm lodge in the hollow of the great tree. As they grew older, Mother Bear found for them all the honey and nuts that they could eat. From sunrise to sunset, the little Indian boy played with his cub brothers. He did not know that he was different from them. He thought he was a little bear too. All day long, the boy and the little bears played and had a wonderful time. They rolled and tumbled and wrestled in the forest leaves. They chased one another up and down the bear tree. Sometimes they had a matched game of hug, for every little bear must learn to hug, and the one who could hug the longest and the tightest won the game. Old Mother Bear watched her three dear children at their play. She would have been content and happy, but for one thing, she was afraid some harm would come to the boy. Never could she quite forget the bear hunters. Several times they had smelled her tree, but the wind had thrown them off the trail. Once from her bear tree window, she had thrown out rabbit hairs as she saw them coming. The wind had blown the rabbit hairs toward the hunters. As they fell near the hunters, they had suddenly changed into rabbits and the hunters had given chase. Another time, Mother Bear tossed some partridge feathers to the wind as the hunters drew near her tree. A flock of partridges went whirring into the woods with a great noise, and the hunters ran after them. But on this day, Mother Bear's heart was heavy. She knew now the big bear hunters were coming. No rabbits or partridges could lead these hunters from the bear trail, for they had dogs with four eyes. Foxhounds have a yellow spot over each eye, which makes them seem double-eyed. And these dogs were never known to miss a bear tree. Sooner or later, they would smell it. Mother Bear thought she might be able to save herself and her cubs, but what would become of the boy? She loved him too well to let the bear hunters kill him. Just then, the porcupine, the chief of the animals, passed by the bear tree. Mother Bear saw him. She put her head out the bear tree window and called to him. He came and sat under the bear tree window and listened to Mother Bear's story of her fears for the boy. When she had finished, Chief Porcupine said he would call a special 
council, a special meeting of the animals, and see if they could not figure out a way how to save the boy. Now the chief had a big voice. As soon as he raised his voice, even the animals away on the longest trails heard him. They ran at once and gathered under the council tree. There was a loud roar and a great flapping of wings, for the birds came too. Chief Porcupine told them about the fears of Mother Bear and of the danger to the boy. Now, said the chief, which one of you will take the boy and save him from the bear hunters? It happened that some animals were present that were jealous of man. These animals had held more than one secret council to plan how they could do away with man. They said he was becoming too powerful. He knew all they knew, and more. The beaver did not like man because men could build better houses than he. The fox said that man had stolen his cunning and could now outwit him. The wolf and the panther objected to man because he could conceal himself and spring without warning. The raccoon said that man was more daring and could climb higher than he. The deer complained that man could outrun him. So when Chief Porcupine asked who would take the boy and care for him, each of these animals in turn said that he would gladly do so. Mother Bear sat by and listened as each offered to take care of the boy. She did not say anything, but she was thinking hard for a bear. At last she spoke. To the beaver she said, You cannot take the boy. You will drown him on the way to your lodge. To the fox she said, You cannot take him. You would teach him to cheat and steal while pretending to be a friend. Neither can the wolf or the panther have him, for they are counting on having something good to eat. You, dear, lost your upper teeth for eating human flesh, and you too, you have no home, you are a tramp. And you, raccoon, I cannot trust, for you would coax him to climb so high that he would fall and die. No, none of you can have the boy. Now a great bird that lives in the sky had flown into the council tree while the animals were speaking, but they had not seen him. When Mother Bear had spoken, this wise old eagle flew down and said, Give the boy to me, Mother Bear. No bird is so swift and strong as the eagle. I will protect him on my great wings I will bear him far away from the bear hunters. I will take him to the wigwam of an Indian friend, where a little Indian boy is wanted. Mother Bear looked into the eagle's keen eyes. She saw that he could see far. Then she said, Take him, eagle. I trust him to you. I know you will protect the boy. The eagle spread wide his great wings. Mother Bear placed the boy on his back, and away they soared.
far from the meeting in the woods. The eagle left the boy as he had promised. At the door of a wigwam, where a little Indian boy was wanted. This was the first young American to be saved by an American eagle. The boy grew to be a noble chief and a great hunter. No hunter could hit a bear trail so soon as he, for he knew just where and how to find the bear trees. But never was he known to cut down a bear tree or to kill a bear. However, many were the wolf, panther and deerskins that hung in his lodge. The hunter's wife sat and made warm coats from the fox and beaver skins which the hunter father brought in from the chase. But never was the hunter or his wife or his children ever seen to wear a bear skin coat. For somewhere deep, deep down in the place where wisdom grows, they knew they owed their lives to the kindness and compassion of a mother bear. Let's take a journey with Domingo's Cat. Once upon time, there was a man who was very poor. So poor that he had to sell one thing after another. Just to put a loaf of bread on the table and a log of wood on the fire. But after some time, he had sold every single one of his possessions except his beloved cat. Dearest cat, he said, no matter what happens, never fear, I will never ever part with you. I would rather starve than live my life without you. Oh, good master Domingo, replied his cat. Do not worry. As long as you have me, I promise you will never starve. This very day I am going out into the world to make a fortune for us both. And so the cat set off on his quest to make their fortune. First he went out into the jungle and dug and dug. Every time he dug, he turned up silver pieces. He took a number of those home to his master so that he could purchase food and the rest of the pieces of silver he carried to the king. The following day the cat dug up pieces of gold and carried them to the king. And on the next day he dug up pieces of diamonds and carried these off to the king. 
Where do you get these rich gifts? Who is sending me such wonderful presents? asked the king. It is my master, Domingo, explained the cat. Now the king had a beautiful daughter, and he thought to himself that this man Domingo must surely be the richest man in the whole kingdom, and he decided then and there that he must have his daughter marry this man. When he suggested this to the cat, he at once offered to make all the necessary arrangements. Then he set off home as fast as he could to tell his master the good news. But, but, but I haven't any clothes to wear at the wedding, blurted Domingo. Never mind about that, said the cat. Just leave it all to me. Then the cat hurried back to the king and said, Oh, your majesty, such a tragedy has occurred. There has been a dreadful fire in the tailor's shop where they were making the wedding garments for my master Domingo. The tailor and all his staff were lucky to escape with their lives. But the entire outfit for my master has been destroyed. I wonder, could your majesty lend him something to wear for his wedding? Now, of course, the king only wanted the best for his beloved daughter on her wedding day, and so he at once sent the finest garments from his wardrobe to Domingo. But even dressed in all this finery, Domingo still felt that something was missing for his wedding day. I have no palace to which to take my bride, he said to the cat. Never mind, I will see about it at once, replied the cat. Then the cat went into the forest to the great castle where the giant dwelt. He marched straight up to the big giant and he said, Oh, giant, I wish to borrow your castle for my master, Domingo. Will you not be so kind as to lend it to me? For a little while. The giant was very much insulted. No, indeed, I will not lend my castle to you, or your master, Domingo, or anybody else, he shouted in his most terrible voice. Very well, then, replied the cat, and in a twinkling of an eye, he changed that giant into a tiny mouse, who scurried off, squeaking and squealing in a terrible fright. And so, when Domingo and his bride came sailing down the river to the garden gate in the royal barge, they saw the cat singing in the window. Domingo carried his bride over the threshold of the grand castle where they discovered what a wonderful place it was with one room decked with silver, another room decked with gold and yet another decked with diamonds. From that day forward, Domingo and his bride never wanted for anything and they made sure to share what they could with those who were not so fortunate as themselves. As for Domingo's cat, they never saw him again. Perhaps he disappeared into the jungle to make some other poor man rich. Why, maybe he might come marching your way one day. Who knows?
I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.